Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most merciful Father, we come together this evening with thanksgiving on our hearts and praise on our lips for what you have done for us as you have redeemed us from the miry pit and you have set our feet upon the rock. Lord, that you have saved us from our sin and our iniquity in which we have wandered far from you, rebelling against you, but yet through Christ we have received his righteousness. The sin of our our sin paid in full by his death and atonement on the cross. We pray, Lord, we would cherish uh, this glorious truth of this great and glorious gospel which you have revealed to us in your word. Lord, we pray as we open your your word this evening that you would light the path that is before us. Open our hearts to be able to see the glorious truth which is found in in your justice which rolls forth from the hills. Lord, we pray that we would be people that love your justice which is coming forth, which is either found in the cross or found in that great and last day of judgment day. Lord, we pray that we would love this as we would sing praises to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 94. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the peoples, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, and they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage, for justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up, who rises up against the wicked, who stands up for, for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon have lied in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by stature? They band together against the life of the righteous. They condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold. And my God, 
the rock of my refuge. He will bring them back. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. There's a question that seems to come up time and time again that stumps a lot of people as they walk through this life. This question is a challenging question. This question is, why do bad things happen to good people? It's a big question. I think one that you have to be able to answer. We often ask it in the wrong way. Often ask it with incorrect understanding. But ultimately, this question is a great question because ultimately underlying in it, anyone who asks this question understands that there is good things and there are bad things. Which is interesting when you think it, think about it, when you try and wrap your heads around. Because when you remove all forms of spirituality, when you're left with purely a physical world, how then do you explain what then is good and what is evil? What makes an atom good or an atom bad? Well, you, you might say if uh, one atom harms another atom, that is bad. But I think then you are left with more questions than you first begun. But added to this, it takes the principle of good and a bad, it applies it then to a person. What then is a good person? What then is a bad thing that happens to this good person? Now then you start to unpack the question, you start to get into more confusing territory. What makes a person good? Or what makes a person bad? In the eyes of the world, I think we often have categories, but realistically, I think we often put ourselves in the category of not bad. Therefore, that makes us good. We're not on that far end of the spectrum. You have a small percentage of the world which are bad, and then the rest of us are good. Again, I think you could spend some time unpacking this question, but Psalm 94 is not about why bad things happen to good people, but why do good things happen to bad people? Now there is a very interesting question. Why does it seem in this world that the good guys never get ahead? Why does it seem that those who are on the low, on the chains of society, are left down on the low parts of the rung? Why does it seem that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? Why does it seem that in this world, the nice girls and guys finish last? It's a difficult question, but one that this psalm addresses for us tonight. Now this section of the psalms, beginning, depending on where you begin, but generally understood as Psalm 93 to 99 is known as what is called the kingdom psalms. And you can see why. Psalm, 91's begin, Psalm 93 begins, The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. Psalm 95, the Lord is great, the great king above all gods. Psalm 96, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Psalm 99, 
The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned above the cherubim. And then people have come to Psalm 94 and asked the question, why is Psalm 94 here? It seems out of place. There's no mention of the Lord reigning. Not like it is in the other Psalms. But I think there they're missing the point. It is not so much about the Lord reigning, but how the Lord reigns. That he uses his justice, his power, the wondrous works, his holiness. And Psalm 94 shows us that God justly rules over all who are under his power and authority. So let us look at this psalm and see how God judges the wicked in his kingdom. The center of this psalm really is about the wicked. That to ask that question, why do good things happen to bad people, we must understand what bad people are. And this psalm specifically speaks of them and their fate. Throughout this psalm, it uses two main words for them. It calls them wicked and it calls them evildoers. Now, we can define these words in various ways. Someone who breaks God's law is, I think, is the best catch-all of all categories. However, the key is not so much breaking God's law. Specifically in this, it is rebellion against God himself. Psalm 10 puts it this way. For the wicked boasts of their desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. That this is the beginning, the foundation of all their wickedness. It's not so much breaking God's law, they deny God exists. And Psalm 94 tells us of some of these things that the wicked person, the evil person, evildoer does. They're arrogant, they boast, they crush, they afflict, they kill, they murder, they mock the Lord, they condemn. Now some have tried to explain who are these wicked people. Now in verse 7, it says that the God of Jacob does not perceive. This comes from their mouth. So although many people assume this might be a wicked, wicked people outside the nation, many commentators agree that this is probably people, wicked people within the covenant community of Israel. And if you read through the book of Kings, it does not take you long to be able to see where or who some of these potential candidates might be of these wicked people. But of all these things that they do, we see them under four main headings. The first is that the wicked are arrogant in themselves. We see this in verse 4. They pour out their arrogant words in all the evildoers boast. The wicked man is not so much about someone who sins. This is the case. But here it is the boasting. The wickedness takes the whole, their wickedness to a whole nother level. James puts it this way in chapter 3. The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
that here the wicked deeds are not just their wicked deeds, but they're boasting in them. The small deeds become great. Or as Jeremiah puts it in Jeremiah chapter 12, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. The boasting is a praising of something. And here they are boasting in themselves. Not just themselves, but their sinful nature. To lift up the wrong in which they are doing. Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Not only do they boast and arrogant in themselves, the wicked are also persecute God's people. See this in verse 5 and then again in verse 21. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They band together together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. Not only in their boasting of their wicked deeds, they set themselves against God and his people. We're not surprised. This is exactly what God foretold when he told of the curse to the serpent, that I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. There's a battle at war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, the seed of promise. And there has been since the beginning and there will be until the end of time. It's not that they just merely oppress anyone and everyone. They're setting themselves against God's people. His covenant community. Again, we know this to be true in the Old Testament. But even in the New Testament, Jesus tells his disciples that if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the word, word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, will they not also persecute you? If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Not only to persecute God's people, the wicked also oppress the helpless. See this in verse 6, and then again, again, in the end of verse 21. They kill the wicked and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. They condemn the innocent to death. They go out of their way to choose the most vulnerable in society. Not only just take their belongings, but they take their life. Time and time again, the principle is clear that all life is valuable. The widow, the sojourner, the fatherless are all made in the image of God. But you can also say, I think, that there's a level to be found in the Bible where it comes to the responsibility of God's people. Is not only just to let them live, but also to take care of them. To look after them, particularly the widow and the orphan. But the wicked do not do either. They take advantage of them and then they destroy them, taking their lives. They look out for those who are, have what they need, their friends themselves. And they use people as pawns in society like a game of chess. 
they have the least. But they go after them the least amount that they have. This sin, again, is repeated through Israel's history. In Ezekiel chapter 22, the people of the land have practiced extortion and have committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy. They have exhorted, extorted from the sojourner without justice. But not only just in the Old Testament, this was happening in the days of Jesus. Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees who told them as they walk around in their long robes, their greetings in their marketplaces, but what they do is they devour widows' houses and for a pretense makes long prayers. And lastly, the wicked, the evildoers, they mock God. They say in verse 7, The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. In all of this, they have no moral compass. A compass is only functional if you have some form of magnetic north to be able to draw it to. And they have no idea or concept of goodness which is found in God. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and beasts and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And here they are, the wicked. They think God does not see, God does not exist, especially in their thoughts. But God knows, as you see in verse 11, knows the thoughts of man even if, and they are but a breath. But in contrast to this, we see the blessed. We have the wicked, and then we see the blessed. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but throughout this psalm, you see the wicked do evil, they boast, they kill, they murder. But the contrast is that of God's people, that God disciplines, that God teaches, that God gives rest, that God does not forsake. They're known as God's people, God's heritage. That the Lord holds them up. That he helps them. That here the wicked are doing evil things, and yet God's people still remain. You see this throughout many of the Psalms. That God is on the side of his people. He delivers them from every trouble. We see that bad things do happen to God's people. Not good people, but God's people. But yet, in the end, God is the one who delivers them. As the psalmist puts together, If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have, been, would have lied in the land of silence. If the Lord was not my help, he puts it quite clearly, 
he would be dead. But here, the psalm begins with the word, with the words, the Lord, God of vengeance. You have the wicked, you have God's people, the blessed, but then you have the Lord. It doesn't seem that good things happen to bad people. We ask that question and this psalm says, yes, good things do happen to bad people. But not totally, not finally. It might be good today for them, but not forever. Just because the wicked live like there is no God does not mean that they are right. Just because the wicked are not punished today does not mean they are not punished ever. And the psalmist points out that God, as a righteous king who reigns over all, will judge the wicked. He calls forth at the very beginning, O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. That he is a cry for God to rise up to judge the earth. But it's also a psalm of warning, giving a warning to those who are fools. As he explains in verses 8 to 11, Understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, and they are but a breath. But it's also a great comfort to his people. You begin in the great story of the exodus of God's people. And where does it begin? It begins with the Lord hearing the cry of the people. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, It began, as he explains to Abraham, that he heard the outcry against the sin which had been committed. And he was going to see that he might be able to judge for himself. That God is righteous. He judges in his righteousness. And he's a judge full of vengeance. Now notice that he is not a God of revenge. Revenge is motivated by personal feelings of anger, resentment, a desire to be able to get even. It's driven by by our emotions. And in the end, I think in revenge, often you get an imbalanced system. But vengeance on the other side refers to that act of seeking justice, of retribution for wrong that had been done where the the scales of justice are fairly balanced. And the Lord who sees all, knows all, will judge people accordingly. He has no need for witnesses, for he is the witness. 
He has no need for evidence because he knows everything. He has seen everything, even the thoughts of man. And he will judge accordingly to his righteous laws. When his gavel goes down, there will be no mistrials, no injustice, no wrongful convictions. As the psalmist ends, he will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. But here is the ultimate answer to the question. Why do good things happen to bad people? Not bad people, or as we like to think about it, or children do on the playground, of good guys and bad guys. Because the reality is, if we read our Bibles, understand God's law, that we would say that no one is righteous, as Isaiah wrote, and then Paul confers, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside together and they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So all of us are bad. So why do bad, good things happen to bad people? The Christ is the one who came. He is the only sinless person who would be a good person. And he comes to die for those of us who are bad. He took the wrath of God. For his people. That there's two judgments. There's a judgment that has been paid in full by Christ. And there's a judgment to come. Where we will be paying for the price of our sin. It's not on that great day of judgment that some of us will not be judged. We will be judged. But not according to our righteousness, but to Christ's. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 12. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable angels in a festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned, enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of righteousness, righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, the sprinkled blood that speaks loud, better word than the blood of Abel. He continues in verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus we offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. Here, the author of Hebrews puts forward that we come before God the judge. And we come before God the judge, but we have a mediator, Jesus Christ, with blood that is better than the word of the blood of Abel. That as we stand in this kingdom, This kingdom that cannot be shaken with a judge who judges perfectly. Now we see in Psalm 94 that we praise to some extent that good things happen to bad people for God has shown us bad people his mercy. We also see that Psalm 94 speaks of God's great justice in his kingdom. 
that we should fear and dread our sin, but also praise God for the mediator of this new covenant who, does ta- who takes away our sin through his justice, not through injustice. It is paid. Let's go to Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise. Lord, that this question of why good things happen to bad people, Lord, we should forever be asking of ourselves. Lord, for we are the wicked, the evildoer. Lord, that we have in times past not upheld your law or kept it perfectly. But yeah, Lord, justice rolled down from the hills. Justice was found in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who came to be able to pay the price in full. Lord, that we now receive his righteousness. But also, Lord, in that great and final day, for those who have not put their trust in you, that although they prosper in this life, Lord, we know that their time is coming. We pray, Lord, that as you show them mercy, that they might repent and come to you and put their trust in Jesus. But if not, Lord, we pray that we would see your glorious justice as we see in the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As we sing praises to your justice that comes forth. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.